everybody, and welcome to TDM Total Dad Movies with Tookie, Dave, and Mike. That's us. By the way, a listener uh, said to me they could tell how much I enjoyed the movie by how enthusiastic the TDM was when I uh, welcomed people to the podcast. So they can tell. They can tell when I'm fired up about it, and when it's like, all right, well, we're going to be talking about this one today, which is very rare because the nature of the podcast is we only do movies that we're excited about showing it to. But I'm very excited about this one this week. Uh, it is an all-time stone-cold classic from the year 1982. It is maybe Dustin Hoffman's finest performance. I know people are going to say it. They always want to do something where he's suffering and crying. And don't give me Rain Man as much as I love that movie. Anyone could do his performance in Rain Man. We'll talk about that in the Rain Man podcast. But <laughs> oh, we will. All right. Uh, because it's definitely on the list, and it deserves to be, and it's great, and he does the job. But the idea that him doing that part was like, what a performance. No, he should not have won an Oscar. He shouldn't have been nominated. This is the one he should have won an Oscar for. Tootsie. Oh, Tootsie, we love you. Yes, it is great to have you here, Tootsie. Uh, 1982, gigantic smash hit. Has uh, aged better than I would have feared. Mm -hmm. uh, I, we're going to talk about some stuff in it. But overall, I still watch it. I still love it. I think it's terrific. Dave, what was going on in 1982 when Dustin Hoffman put on the suit? Uh, well, Tootsie dropped in December, December 17th of 82. So I wanted to take you both uh, back to the month of December 1982. I want you to imagine that, that you are dads uh, mm -hmm. in 1982. Uh, you're each going to buy each other a last second uh, holiday present. So what I'd like each of you to say is um, give me a, a price range, you know, you know, in the, it, round it to the nearest 10, so like 10 to 20, 30 to 40, whatever. Um, give okay. me a price range that you're willing to spend on the other person. And I will, uh, I have a couple of um, catalogs open Ooh. from 1982, uh, mm. primarily toy catalogs, uh, because like we're this. dads, we're buying for the kids. Yeah. Um, and I will tell you what your, uh, what, your, what your best option is to buy for each other. Mike, would you like to go first? Would you like to buy uh, Tookie a present first? Oh, this is a lot of pressure. I really didn't want to go first because now I've got to put a number <laughs> on our friendship, which is so uncomfortable because I'm trying to, all right, relatively speaking, this is 41 years ago. $20 is like $80 now. Oh, shit. You're right. Adjust for inflation. Yeah, somewhere in there. I, like so, $20 will get you a nice present. I'm going to say 20 bucks. Can I get a, one more, a, a little bit more information? Would you like Tookie to have like a, an action figure or um, a game? Uh, do you have a, do you have a preference like where you like to funnel that twenty dollars into? I, I do some sort of game. Okay, mm. a game, um, a game that can be played with someone else. All right. Oh, here we go. I've got it. Uh, you're going to spend a little bit more. You're going to buy Tookie uh, for twenty one ninety nine the electronic quiz whiz. Ooh. Uh, the electronic quiz whiz question and answer computers, 1,001 question and answers on, quote, various subjects, cartridge, uh, various subjects. Uh, there's a cartridge and booklet included. You can order additional cartridges uh, if you, once you get through the 1,001 questions. Um, it requires one 9-volt battery not included, but hours of trivia-based fun with your handheld trivia quiz whiz. That's a real solid dad present. That's a solid dad gift. And I believe coming off of uh, the Trivial Pursuit craze of maybe about a year prior. Mm -hmm. So when suddenly everyone was like, oh, oh the Trivial Pursuit was an insane hit when it came out. 
And yeah, there were lots of ripoffs after that. So, Tookie, enjoy your electronic trivial pursuit ripoff. Merry Christmas. A thousand and one questions is awesome. That's I, that's the right number. Step. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, Tookie, I'm excited about that. How much money would you like to spend on Mike? So, okay, I initially was thinking in 2023 dollars, but in 1982 dollars. So I was thinking like a 20 to 25 dollar tool set. Oh, okay. Mm. Oh, I might not have a tool set. Uh well, actually, uh no, I've only got I I've got more sort of toys and games up. Ah, okay. Okay. The, the idea that you immediately thought tool set makes me think we don't know each other very well. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's what you need, you know? I guess. It's the principle of that. That, that tends like, to go, to, that, that falls into the category of mom gifts. <laughs> it's not what it's, you want. It's what you need. Yeah. You need these towels. I grew up with a mom who's the handy person of the household. Ah. So in my mind, tools are like, a very nice, like a, a fresh set of tools. They're a lovely gift. Mm. Yeah. They're a lovely gift that I will never use. Damn. <laughs> it's the thought that counts. I will appreciate that thought. It's okay if you regift them. It's a nice set. <laughs> Perfect. Would you like to, do you want to take another shot at, uh, at, at a, uh, at yeah. a game or, or, or similar diversion toy or otherwise? A collectible action figure. Oh, collect art. Um, and you want to spend 20 to 25? Yeah. Oh, you're going to do real nice. nice. You're going to do real nice. Tookie, I, I'm gonna, if you can kick in an, an extra couple of bucks, you can get the Star Wars 8-pack figure, uh, which oh. comes with Luke Skywalker oh. in his battle poncho, uh, Han Solo in a carbonite chamber, uh, Luke Skywalker in his Imperial Stormtrooper outfit, R2-D2, an Imperial gunner, and a couple of droids that I don't remember at all. This is a pretty sweet package. Mm. Um, and and yeah, you know like, what? The, the irony is those droids you don't remember at all are probably the most valuable ones in that set. Uh, yeah, because yeah, they probably made about seven of them. Yeah. yeah. You can find those obscure ones or the Star Wars figure that they changed at some point later on. Then that's where the money is. Mm. Oh, oh True. baby. Yeah, it's a... Yeah. Uh, it's EV nine EV nine oh nine is the droid, and then there's a I think a bounty hunter named a man a man. Oh, uh, what is it? Is that like a, a like an iron thing with a big tall head? Uh yeah, that's kind of what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There you go. Oh wow, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. All right. Okay. You're, you're, you're... This is the well, this is the Empire Strikes Back line because Return of the Jedi didn't come out until '83. Mm -hmm. So almost all the figures are being, yeah, they're fashioned after characters from Empire, which is mm -hmm. why you've got the Carbonite Han Solo. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, the Luke Skywalker is probably in that beige outfit. Yep. 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 He's got that like kind of, yep. That, 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 yep. that kind of fancy suit. There you go. Yeah. Geek card firmly in place. Beautiful. You can, right. however, if you oh. do want to explore the Return of the Jedi, you can order... Uh, Return of the Jedi bedroom set, um, which features all the uh, 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 you know the iconography from Return of the Jedi, the film that is, has yet to be released. So if you want to sleep every night in anticipation for the movie of 83, that's a great choice as well. Now, is that bedroom set, does it say Return of the Jedi or Revenge of the Jedi? Uh, oh, I got to zoom in. It because seems to... it was originally going to be Revenge of the Jedi, and then Lucas decided that Jedi do not 
Seek Revenge, so it became Return of the Jedi. Uh And a very valuable poster, if you can find it, Hmm. is an original Revenge of the Jedi poster. Uh, By the time it made it to the Sears catalog, it was a Return of the Jedi. Ah, lovely. All right. And speaking of movies, (laughs) hey, let's get back to it. I apologize to anyone who was looking for good Tootsie content and (laughs) has yet to receive any of it. Hey, Tootsie. All right, let's talk about it. Uh, it is considered a Stone Cold classic, often finds itself on a list of the greatest American movies ever made, always comes up on the greatest American comedies ever made. Uh, it was compared originally to Some Like It Hot. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's honestly, you know, it, it's a, someone who dresses up, uh, a man who dresses as a woman, uh, and that's kind of all that they have in common. Uh, Tootsie is doing something very different from what Some Like It Hot is doing. And I don't want to cast this version of Some Like It Hot, even though I don't love it. Tootsie, to me, is just working on a whole bunch of other levels. It's got, it's funny. It's got something to say. It has an opinion. It's got, uh, it actually has an opinion mm-hmm. about its lead character, which I don't think Some Like It Hot does. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, and I just find no. it a much more interesting film. Tookie, what did you think of your first viewing of Tootsie? Yeah. Um... I made sure to, um, I made sure to consider the fact that this is a movie from four decades ago, yeah. when, when like gender identity, gender politics weren't as prominent in our discourse. Mm-hmm. So I tried to at least separate, um, you know, any any sort of education that I've gotten in the time since this movie premiered. Um, you know, I was trying to separate my knowledge of that, my understanding of yeah. that from this film. And of course, um, to anybody, you know, who might be concerned about the matter, I am a cis straight woman and I'm mm-hmm. going to look at it solely from that perspective because it's not my place to, you know, insert myself in the business of or the uh, experience of a trans woman and how they might, or how any of them might perceive this movie, might view this movie and its implications. Mm -hmm. But for its time, yeah, I mean, I appreciated what it had to say um, about (laughs) how women are, like when a man finally puts himself in the shoes of a woman, like to, to actually experience a lot of the BS that we go to and still endure to this day. And that it isn't easier just because, just because the, uh, and this is what I experienced too um, when I was fresh out of college and auditioning for roles in a pre Hamilton world, I just missed it. You know, I just missed it. Mm When, it, when people are like, you know, oh, well, you know, you got to get out there, you got to audition. And I'm hearing, I'm not getting a lot of callbacks because I seem too urban for mm-hmm. the roles that I'm going for. Yeah. And now, and now you have actors and, and to an extent, stand up comics complaining like, oh, no one wants white guys anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's just because, just because the, the casting call or just because the, the flyer says looking for diverse casting, looking for yeah. women doesn't mean that there isn't anything for you. Um, And I think that's a lesson, at least that Dustin Hoffman's character, Michael, tries to learn. I think this is a movie about a guy who's trying. Mm -hmm. It is to me a a movie about a guy that's trying. 
Yeah. It's interesting. I, I think it has less to say about the business. Mm -hmm. And as I have aged and watched it multiple times, I'm realizing, uh, and maybe it's because I, you know, once I started to hit the point in my life where Michael was at, and you kind of have more time for self-reflection. To me, it's a lot more about men and women and who we are in the world as opposed to the the world of Hollywood, the world of acting, the entertainment industry, yeah. it, which is what I thought it was a lot about earlier. And really it's just this, the backdrop for it and a place where it makes a little bit more sense for him to be able to do this and make it believable and pull it off. To me, as I watch it over recently, especially over the last 10 years, it's a lot more about a guy coming to grips with the fact that he's an asshole and he yes. has fought the idea that he's an asshole for so long and it's no i care more than you do i care more than other people do the work comes first you guys just don't you guys don't think about this the same way i do i'm special and i am different and being forced to be uh, you know to live in the world where he has to pretend to be a woman and understanding oh my god i actually thought i was such a victim and i had so much ability to get away with shit that I never realized. Yeah. I treated people like shit and didn't realize it and didn't accept that and didn't understand it until other people treated me that way because suddenly I wasn't one of them anymore. I was somebody that they treated badly. It, it was really, really something to watch the journey of him slowly have, realizing, I, I don't think he's a good man by the end of it, but he's on his way to becoming a better man. Mm -hmm. And the the fact that that's like how he talks about it, and in his big reveal that he was a you know better man for being a woman finally, is uh, to me the the whole point of the movie. In addition to being extremely funny, I don't want to take the funny out of this because it's still a laugh out loud funny movie. But to me, that is the undercurrent and what sets it apart from other movies where you just have a man dressing up as a woman. This is a man who like goes on a real personal journey towards realizing oh fuck i sucked but it's not too late to stop sucking yeah mm -hmm. that's yeah oh go ahead dave sorry i was gonna i was gonna add, like to me like just to kind of piggyback on that too i i i agree like for me like the business of acting kind of falls aside a little bit more the more i watch it but where i find it um really fascinating is thinking about it in terms of like it's it's a movie that's about acting with like a capital a um, he only he, Dustin Hoffman, Michael can only go on that journey by acting, you know, by, 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 by through the craft of acting, by transforming himself, by coming into contact with the parts of himself that he's denied for so long. And like by the end of the movie, like is in the process of genuine transformation, mm -hmm. um, which is something like, I don't think you see, like, I, I, I tend to not think that transformation is sort of possible in a play. Like it's, it's you, the characters discover it because I don't think people tend to change, but there's an, I, I think you are watching the beginning of somebody's evolution because mm -hmm. he's accessed something that he's had all along, but doesn't acknowledge until he's forced to by dressing yeah. up as Dorothy Michaels. And, yeah. and I was like, Oh, well that's kind of incredible. Like this movie's about the artistic power of acting on a personal level. Yeah. And I, I, I think, it's interesting because it is a lot of it is about acting because because he is such a talented actor. If he wasn't that talented an actor, he wouldn't realize what a shitty human being he is. 
because the fact that he's so believable in this part and that people buy it and people treat him a certain way. And also, and I don't think I totally locked onto this until this last viewing, this idea of the regret he's feeling at different times in the movie where he's realizing the success he's having is Dorothy and how much of that is because people can appreciate his talent because he's at least regulating his shittiness a little bit as Dorothy. And it's like, if I could have brought it down even just 20%, instead of saying, this is me, you're getting 100% Michael Dorsey. If I could have just toned that down and you know expressed my feelings and then still had to get along with people, what could I have done in the world? What could I have accomplished? Yeah. What parts could I have played? Because he's Dorothy for the, his first day, he gets cast in a major soap opera. He is so good in it that they insist on keeping him on during this time. They don't want to let him go. He's getting all these you know, fan letters. The, the show is jumping up. And he, he has this moment, and because he, he just turned 40, of, oh, God, I pissed away 20 years of my talent by being a dick. And uh, look at what I've lost. And that's why he thinks he deserves, Dorothy deserves better and thinks she's so much smarter than he is. And he, he, it's hard for him to let go of her. Yeah. Yeah. I think of, I think too, uh, of how much he learned by just how much, I mean, it wasn't even the, the same extent to which women actually have to shrink themselves in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. fact that he, Imme- like as soon as he donned the garb, like immediately knew, like he had to shrink himself to an extent, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. where a lot of the learn, like that was the catalyst for the learning, where it's yeah. like, ooh, I kind of have to know my place a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where it's like, uh, oh, okay, yeah, I understand how I'm being looked at differently now. Yeah, and I don't feel like I can fight back in that same way. Yeah. You know, and he, he, so I, I need to figure out another way to do this, mm-hmm. which is so much of how women have to go through the world. Yeah. 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 And there's been a lot of interesting stuff that's come out over the last year you know, during the social media era where Dustin Hoffman, who has also had uncomfortable stuff come up that we can talk about in a little bit. Yeah. But uh, the, the knee is iron. <laughs> yeah. But where he did an interview that I thought was very interesting, where he talked about, because he did a lot of prep to do this time. Dustin Hoffman is uh, notorious for being, a, 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 you know, very much Michael Dorsey in his own way and just, you know, beating the shit out of people to do what he thinks he needs to do to get the part right. And he will, and he's like, whatever I have to do to do this is worth it as long as the product is good enough. And yeah, he just cut through anyone that he needed to to do that. Mm. But uh, he did an interview where he talked about, you know, one of his, one of the bullet points in his contract was he could walk away from it if he decided he did not seem believable as a woman. They would screen test it, they would do all of his makeup, they would do all of these things. And if he didn't believe that people would buy him as a woman, he wasn't gonna do the movie. So there was no, again, some like it hot where it's like, look, we've got to make this in black and white because you two are so grotesque, no one's going to believe it in color. Mm-hmm. He refused to do that. He said, no, I have to be able to convince people. And he would do the night with us and he, then he would walk around the streets of New York to see if he could convince people. And one of the things he realized was he wasn't attractive as a woman and he realized how much people dismissed him oh, yes. as a woman. Yeah, and he realized how much he had dismissed women who he didn't find attractive and how he missed out on so many interesting people in his life because they weren't beautiful enough for him to spend time with. 
uh, which was this moment where we were all like, oh, Dustin Hoffman, you're so wise. And then we learned other things. But yeah. that commentary is still good and interesting. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, <laughs> and also facing the reality of it. It's like, I, I think at least looking at it from an actor's perspective and a 1982 perspective, despite his dickishness, there were at least some roles still available to him that he would technically not have aged out of as a leading mm -hmm. man. Mm -hmm. Whereas, especially back then, the window was so limited for women. For a woman, yeah. 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 And, yeah. yeah. And, and again, like, it, it, you know, it's, a, it's an old trope in old Hollywood and everything. Of, you know, actresses, oh, my God, you're 25, you're ancient, right? Mm -hmm. But, yeah. like, yeah, it, to, to actually be in the shoes of a woman and for him to be in the shoes of a middle-aged woman and realize mm -hmm. just the, the level of not only sexism, but ageism that comes with the territory and okay. how much, you know, he had to, he had to navigate through like shrinking himself and making himself like, you know, making people amenable to his presence in the first place, mm -hmm. but also navigating the fact that as a middle-aged woman, he has become, gosh, the, the pronoun juggling here is a lot but but yeah. as a middle-aged woman as portraying a middle-aged woman like he is he he's realizing how invisible he becomes mm -hmm. and it's like yeah that's a really sad fucking thing and we shouldn't do that to people yeah those moments where yeah that guy just takes his cab yeah and, yeah because yeah and you know it's funny the cab commentary is interesting where they're gonna he's gonna drive right by him until he uses his loud man voice to stop the cab. Yeah. And yeah, those moments where he can call on his Superman powers to uh, avoid a situation that Dorothy on her own would not have been able to get out of. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's all throughout the movie. All and right, but I, I do not want to, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, I can't speak for every woman, but it's definitely a fantasy of mine to beat the brakes off any man who steals a cab from me. So like, yeah. that was a moment that really resonated with me. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. All right, this is a super fun movie, super funny movie, directed by Sidney Pollack, who also plays his agent, who, uh, yeah, George Fields, even though the whole time I'm thinking, oh, Sidney Pollack, yay. Um, Dustin Hoffman, yeah, convinced Sidney Pollack, who was the third director to come onto this project. Oh. Uh, supposedly, the other directors just ended up having other commitments, but the scuttlebutt was always that Dustin Hoffman was like, nope, you're gone. You're gone. <laughs> it's ridiculous how much power Dustin Hoffman wielded in 1982. Wow. That's yeah. He really, that is really very had surprising. so much power. Yeah. Uh, so he convinced Sidney Pollack to play George Fields. And uh, I, I, as I come back to it, their scenes tend to be my favorite things every time that I come back to it. I love the whole movie. But his first, the, the scenes where he is fighting with George in the offices just delight me the whole time and i think some of the energy is because he and dustin hoffman fought the whole production Ooh. the whole time yeah it's legendary how much they fought during this production even though yeah dustin hoffman wanted him to direct it wanted him to play it uh and i don't know if it was just the famousness of dustin hoffman's method acting that he was just carrying the the testiness with him into those scenes and it played so beautifully but Ooh. yeah those scenes where he is fighting with george fields I can't stop laughing. They work so beautifully every time. And even that third scene between them where they're walking on the street and he's talking about playing Lady Macbeth and get me a special and do all of these things. 
and George being the voice of reason during it all and going, do you hear yourself? No, <laughs> you can't do any of this. It's so good. And yeah, the you realize it, you realize again, I, I want to, I want it to be fun. I don't want just want to you know be like looking back and finger wagging at it here, but you realize how much more interesting stuff the men got to do mm -hmm. uh, in this movie than the women got to do. As great as Terry Gar is, we're gonna give Terry Gar a lot of love in this because I am team Sandy from way back in the day. Uh, I think Sandy is amazing and he's overlooking uh, this treasure right in front of him this whole time. Love Sandy, love Terry Gar playing this. But yeah, you know, though the women in this don't, it, because they don't get to really tell uh, Michael slash Dorothy what they're thinking and really get to be frank with them, there's, there's a limit to what they can do and what they can be yeah. in this movie, as well as they did what they did. And Jessica Lange won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar. And interestingly, yeah, there was a, there was an interview Terry Gard did, and it was as she was older, after she had had an aneurysm and just didn't give a shit anymore, <laughs> where she was like, yeah, I should have won the Oscar for it. She was the lead actor in that. I was the supporting actress. I don't know why she got the supporting actress. What the hell? And yeah, so it was really great. And I, I also agree with Terry Gard that she was so funny in there. She really probably should have gotten the Oscar if uh, one of the two actresses in this movie was going to get a Best Actress Oscar. She was really great. But yeah, Bill Murray and Sidney Pollack kind of get to go toe to toe with him in a way yeah. that the other actors don't. They and do. it's so much yeah. fun. Bill Murray, legendarily uncredited in this movie. He is not in the opening credits. He was not in any of the advertisements. And it was, he thought it would be hysterical if he was just a surprise. He just well, said, I think it would be great if people just come into the movie and suddenly I'm there. Well, because I and texted he has you so guys. Many great lines. Yeah. yeah Bill I Murray's texted in you guys like, yes. what is Bill Murray doing here? And he steals every scene he's in. He's amazing. And yeah, there's a lot of improvisation that he brought into this. He added a lot of stuff. And he and Dustin Hoffman just had a ball together. And as everyone else on the set was tense, Bill Murray was just laughing at everybody. <laughs> and had a funny quote where he said, I came in on a day where I wasn't shooting. And of course, you know, uh, I think he told this story in a late night show where he's saying, and of course, Sydney and Dustin were yelling at each other and said, you guys are crazy. This movie is going to be this huge hit. Enjoy it. And he was the only one who thought it was going to be a huge hit. Sydney oh. Pollack. Yeah. Said, well, Dustin Hoffman wasn't sure and you know, always claimed to not care about whether a movie did well or not. Sydney Pollack said it's going to be a flop. <gasps> he was talking to another director. Wow. Uh, and said, yeah, don't worry. No one's ever going to see this piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Like, I think... I mean, I really think Sidney Pollack as both an actor and director is is maybe like in some ways like such a incredibly linchpin, incredible linchpin for this movie to get done. I mean, there are so many credited and uncredited co-writers, including Elaine May, who apparently punched yeah. up a lot of the script. Like oh, there's, there's yeah. so many and, and to mm -hmm. allow for the degree of improvisation that apparently uh, they they encouraged uh, uh, during the shooting of this film. Um it just, I read a, a, a one, one of the articles on uh, the Criterion Channel's website talked about the, the sort of steady hand that Pollock provides. And uh, it's, it's really like you would see, I would imagine with a lesser director, you would start to see the seams of all these different uh, um, hands that are, you know, the fingerprints that are all over this film. And 
you don't see that at all. This film feels so organic. The tone so is seamless. consistent throughout. Like and, and, and like everybody shines in it. The acting, I think, is I think this is top to bottom, the, like, like the best acted comedy that I've ever seen. Um, it's one of the best acted movies. Yeah. Top to bottom. There's yeah. like literally six performances that just make me go, that person's amazing. Mm -hmm. This Seamless. person is great. Yeah. Every time Charles Durning pops up, I'm like, I Jeez. love this guy. Durning's phenomenal. <clears throat> Somehow and making that part believable, that he's proposing this woman he's never kissed or formally dated. And I'm like, I buy it. 100% completely there and i love this guy even though i probably shouldn't love this guy i love this guy yeah everybody's allowed a a, a degree of dimensionality you can see every even in the like the, the deep supporting characters when you get down to like george Gaines or or um oh what's the actor's name who plays um rita doris bellick who's phenomenal yes. in that sort of small role as rita um mm -hmm. You get to know these people in a pretty human way, and you get a little bit of sense of like what you know their 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 pros and cons, and and you you know the movie doesn't make any judgments, and that's that's maybe another thing that I love about this movie, and what kind of allows it to endure. Like uh, the movie has opinions, I think, about Michael, and they're the they're generally the right ones that you know he he is he's presented as an asshole when he needs to be an asshole, um, but I don't think anybody judges anybody. You know, they're just presenting these well, people as they I, are. I think Ron gets judged. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But even Ron, like, uh, succeeds despite. Yeah. Like, Ron probably comes out the best, uh, you know, in terms of just sort of his 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 whole thing is intact and his ratings are higher than they've ever been. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't suffer consequences necessarily. But I, I do think of all the characters, that's one where we are looking at him and I, I think the script is, you know, he justifies it. Yeah, the, the, the whole scene where he justifies it, that's very important. But I do think that he is being held up as, and I think it's done for a very specific reason, which is where it's showing you this, we are judging him, this is a shitty person. And then, oh, by the way, this guy's a lot more like our hero than you thought he was, mm -hmm. isn't he? Isn't he? Are they that different? Yeah. Or is no. Ron just not fooling himself quite as much as other people? That mm. scene in Jessica Lange's apartment before they break up between him and, yeah. and, and Dorothy is, I, I had forgotten just how uh, uncomfortable and really beautiful that scene is where they, yeah. where he says, you know, I, I, I know you better than, than you think yeah. I do. Yeah. And there are so many moments that when you take the time, because you're going to break it down later on, we realize they specifically created scenes that were reflective of things that Michael Dorsey did specifically for Ron. The mm -hmm. moment where they are mm -hmm. at that party and the woman recognizes him and they start doing that is so, it was a, almost a mirror image of the birthday party scene where Michael is hitting on everybody. Mm. You know, those women don't exist in that apartment if he doesn't think that he has a chance with them sexually. And it's, I'm playing that game and he's doing it. All, all of his lines are just like Ron's lines, yeah. Yep, yeah. only Ron is important enough to get away with it more than Michael is. Mm -hmm. You know, Michael um, kind of thinks because it's not working for him that that makes him better. It's like, no, you're just less successful. <laughs> he, uh, oof, ouch, harsh truth. Ah, sorry. You just told him about himself, my God. <laughs> um, I, I will me. say Elaine though, May. That was Elaine May told him about himself. Yeah, that's true, yeah. that is true. <laughs> Shout out to Elaine May. Um, no, I will say, this was so delightful for me in terms of seeing supporting, specific supporting characters pop up. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Punky Brewster's dad. So, <laughs> yes. but, but he was a lecherous turd in this film. So it was yep. kind of weird to see him in that context. He's but, done a lot of stuff. If you ever seek him out, there's a great uh, small movie called Vanya on 42nd Street. That he oh, did. he's luminous in it. It's a beautiful little movie. Um, that's like, yeah, sort of a breaking the fourth wall of these actors doing a production of Vanya, of mm. Uncle Vanya. Yeah, in this like decrepit old theater on 42nd Street. It's really, really fun. Vanya on 42nd, noted. Yeah. Let's see if it's streaming. I don't think we'll ever put it on the list because three people will listen to that podcast, but still. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, but no, another familiar face that made me emotional to see, but like in a very good way, Lynn Thigpen as mm. like a production assistant. Mm -hmm. I know her Chief. from my from my small childhood slash toddlerdom as Chief from Carmen Sandiego. Yeah. Yep. And Chief was so important to me because like people are like eh, representation woke blah 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 yeah. no it's yeah. so important it mm -hmm. it was it changed everything to see somebody like who looks like me who looks like my family yeah. right on the screen so i was so long live lynn thigpen forever she mm -hmm. she did so much more outside of chief but like that's where i know oh, yeah. her most most fondly so but it's yeah like no, seeing that person that meant a lot to you in your childhood yeah outside of it it's important yeah it was huge she didn't she didn't have much to do but it was okay because it was her no and she would have more to do after this yeah. um yeah, yeah. i think she was one of those actors who always seemed you know kind of middle-aged mm. even when they were young mm -hmm. and so she started aging into her sweet spot in a few years after this mm -hmm. so if you ever yeah look up her imdb she pops up doing great work in a lot of different things yeah yeah I, you want to look at a so movie happy. that you look at differently years later she's in uh lean on me oh and she's wow. sort of the almost the villain in lean on me <gasps> where she's no. the one angry at joe clark and let me tell you something you look at that movie now and you go, boy, is Lynn making some solid fucking points. <laughs> Wait, is that the one where Morgan Freeman hangs a student off a roof? Yes. Yep. I haven't seen it, yeah. but like, I okay. Uh, we, it might go on the list just because it's so crazy to watch now. Because I, I watch, I saw it maybe like two, three years ago and I'm like, holy shit, I'm so sorry, Lynn Thigpen. <laughs> you were so right yes those oh. chains should not have been on the doors oh clinton america was a weird place <laughs> yeah proof that chief is always right chief is always <laughs> yeah. right chief. yeah listen to the chief yeah she knows where, where carmen san diego is yeah all right i want to do something so uh i want to pick our favorite scene out of this movie and then we will do uh most dad part of this Tootsie, what was your favorite scene from Tootsie? Uh, the reveal of uh, uh, Edward Kimberly yeah. <laughs> was so unhinged. Oh that my God, and everyone's reaction final, to it. That final monologue is so unhinged and like most actors dream. Yes. Most actors dream reveal to do. And yeah. it's just so soapy and so perfect in its own, yep. you know, cheesy, hammy, soap opera way. I loved it. He's so great in it. And everyone around him is so great mm -hmm. in the way they react to it. Mm -hmm. I Because it's so good. And then the bow at the end of 
does Jeff know? <laughs> Lord me. Oh my God. Yeah. Just the, the, the line itself, uh, George Gaines' performance of it. Oh God, so great. Yeah. Does Jeff know? Because it could have ended on the punch, no problem. And you wouldn't have missed anything. And right. they knew. Nope, one more thing. Yeah. One more thing to go out on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great scene. Great scene. He, Dave, yeah, he, your favorite scene. Uh I'll 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 go I'll go uh I'll go more um uh earnest. I really, really love the first um scene in Jessica Lang's apartment, um, when they're going over the lines and just kind of getting to know each other and the conversation that 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 kind of centers around um why do you drink so much? All of a sudden, like oh, that, yeah. that character, yeah. Jessica Lang's character just like kind of like opens up without saying she doesn't, I love how, how much mystery there is to that character, how much they intentionally don't like kind of ascribe, you know, we never find out who her, her son's, her daughter's father is. We never, you know, we never really get into like, does she, is she an alcoholic? But there's just so much happening with her. And there's so much like she's lived so much life and she can't ever let her guard down except when she's with Dorothy. And it's so uh, you can it's so fun to watch um, Dustin Hoffman try to navigate that scene and realize, like, I can't have this in, you know, in my true form Uh, or, you know, how am I how can I make this? How can I achieve this relationship without the the wig and the makeup? And, 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 you know, she's so at ease. She's so full. She's so sad. Um, I just love, 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 love that scene. It was so there's pure. so much. Yeah. This, well, there's so much going on in that scene that, you know, you feel so much differently as you watch it with time. And it, I don't know if this is kind of a, a sad interpretation of that scene. But as I was watching it, I was just looking at it and thinking, this time like what is it about dorothy that she locks into so firmly you know when i was watching it this time trying to you know take notes and get ready for the podcast and thinking about what what is it like why does she like dorothy so much why does she feel this connection and i was thinking some positive stuff stuff i was like oh this is a woman who's stronger than most of the women that she has been around and you know she wants to be she talks about wanting to be more like dorothy and standing up for it and how proud she is when she does act a little more like Dorothy. And then there was, I I think the sad interpretation that I had, and I don't know that this is correct, but also a young, beautiful actress like that, who has lived the life that she has lived, um, who has men hitting on her all the time. Is there something about, she's so used to being desired that there's something about, all right, I'm here, I'm with someone, I don't realize this is a person desiring me, but this is something that makes me feel my worth. Uh, but I also don't think there's something sexual possible here. So it's starting to feel like the best of both worlds, which is kind mm-hmm. of a sad feeling in its way mm-hmm. too. But I think is a reality for you know a lot of young female actors of mm-hmm. like, all right, I'm you know I, I'm in this place where that's a, a, a feeling of validation that makes me feel good. That makes me feel like I'm okay right now. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be insecure. I don't know. Is that too dark an interpretation? I don't of that think so. In that relationship, because I, yeah. I think I think she kind of articulates that in the the second uh, apartment scene. You know, after she breaks up yeah. with uh, with um, yeah. Dabney Coleman, 
I, I think, you know, she's, she's wrestling with this thing of like, I, I want to be with you, but I don't think I can. And like, I'm getting like every, like, yeah. it, it's like the, the radio signals are getting uh, crossed or, or staticky somehow. Like she can't quite articulate what's off, but something's not working for her, but something is also working for her. Um, yeah. It, I, it's, it's, I, I really think Jessica Lange deserved the oh, award yeah. for this movie. Yeah. Cause I think she's, she gives this sort of like gauzy layered, really funny but also really sad performance and you can like see like the loss of her mother and the and the weight of her child like all of this stuff is bearing down on her but she's also ch sort of choosing to kind of glide through her life in this way that try that reassures other people around her mm -hmm. and it's like it's finally like there's some there's one person on the set that she doesn't have to uh compete with because she's got to compete with gina davis she knows that they're, they're you know that I think there's she knows what what's up with with yeah. regards to Gina Davis and, and and Dabney Coleman. There's one person on the set that she knows she doesn't have to compete with, and it's it's Dorothy, and she can open up a little bit to her. Yeah, I think what I gained from this scene is watching someone express relief over being in the presence of somebody who doesn't want something from her, mm. and because mm -hmm. she has the power to give. In a sense, she has a power to give Dorothy something, possibly. Right. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't want anything, at least to her knowledge. She doesn't know right. that it's Michael underneath Dorothy. But to her knowledge, she's safe because she's around somebody who doesn't want anything from her and doesn't yeah. want her. Until the kiss. That, that was a time. But, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, to her knowledge... It was it was a it was a place to like finally sit and breathe, and not have to be on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, my favorite scene. It was tough. It was going to be. It's one of the two Sydney Pollock scenes that are <laughs> great. And as I watched it again, it, I mean, it's razor thin. Ask me tomorrow, and I'll pick the other one. <laughs> but I think it's the the second scene where he's woken George up after the proposal. And he's and he's at the end of his rope and caring about people. And I think that's kind of what sets it apart for me, too, is mm. he's at this point where as opposed to the beginning scene where all he cares about is himself in this scene, he cares about himself, but is also crushed about the thought of breaking Les's heart. Oh, my God, Julie. Oh, my God. What did I do to Sandy? What are all these? Oh, my God. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And it's so funny. And just watching George try to process who this person that he thought he knew is, and also all this disparate information that is getting just fire hosed at him at once <laughs> in the middle of the night, sitting next to a glass of scotch. It, it's so good. It, it's so good where, where this, Michael doesn't have the bandwidth to completely relay all the information. So it's coming out however it comes out. And yeah, it's just so good. I oh. I laugh at it hard every time. Yeah. I, I, I went in the bathroom, I almost pissed in the sink. I'm in trouble, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it just kills me because it, it, that's this great button of, and amidst all my emotional turmoil, I still have to take the time to think about day-to-day -day stuff I never had to think about before. Just which door am I opening when I have to pee? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yep. Great stuff. All right. Uh, what makes this a dad movie for you, Dave? Uh, it's got to be the one dad in the movie, Charles Durning. Uh, oh. It's got, for me, like, that that bar scene, 
I, it, it shouldn't work. And it like, it just does. It's like they, it's like Durning and, and Hoffman just kind of decide like, we're going to make this feel like we're going to, we're going to reconcile what needs to be reconciled, which should not be reconcilable in five minutes or less. Uh, and they do it mostly off text and, and, and Durning specifically the moment where Durning like makes like he's going to punch him and then just kind of like punches him on the arm, but you never really think he's actually going to punch him. That's such a, that's a dad. And that's a, that's a dad saying it's okay, son. It's okay. I'll go with the Durning air punch. Yeah. Durning air punch. Great moment. Tookie, what makes this a dad movie for you? Uh, The fact that this man just won't go to therapy. Like this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you'd rather dress up as a woman in a soap opera than go to therapy. All this could have been avoided if he just, you know, sat down and talked to somebody. Maybe take a Zoloft or two. Like, just go to therapy. (laughs) Yeah. Talk it out. Damn. It's so goddamn true, too. Like if he had just talked to a therapist who had just pulled him back even 20%, Michael yeah. Dorsey. Is Michael Dorsey starring in Iceman Cometh on Broadway if he could be 20% less Michael Dorsey? Yeah. There's a pretty and good only, chance, I'd say. Yeah. Because, I mean, he's got to be insanely talented for George Fields at CAA mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. keep him on as a client when he can't even get him work. Yeah. And is a huge pain in his ass. Oh, yeah. Like, how extraordinarily talented must Michael Dorsey be? Even though, and I, I will say one thing that I don't think has aged quite as well is the audition montage in the beginning. As funny as it is, there is a part of me that's like, I want to be a little bit better in these auditions. Mm-hmm. Like, when he comes I, yeah. out as the boy, this is a part of me that's like, huh, uh, I kind of want these moments to be a little bit better. I want to feel like Michael Dorsey is this undeniable talent that people just keep taking chances on. I want him to be the Daryl Strawberry of acting, where the gifts are so enormous that we just keep trying to get him back. You know, this Robert Downey Jr. quality to him of, look, he's got these problems, but God, he's so great when he's on. Uh Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If I have like one like tiny nit with the movie to pick, it's that, uh, that opening audition montage focuses more on that the business is hard and less on that the fact that Michael is notoriously difficult to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think what makes this a dad movie for me is that this is a very accurate depiction of a midlife crisis. Mm. Um, Because what usually gets depicted as a midlife crisis is usually just, hey, I can actually afford some shit now. Like just this idea of like, I have a Corvette midlife crisis. No, I couldn't afford this when I was 25. You, you can't afford a nice car until you're in your forties. A lot of the time I, you know, so, oh, oh, I'm worried about my life at at my health at this point. So I'm going to start working out. I don't think it's a midlife crisis as much as, oh, I better start doing some shit. Mm. Um, And what a real midlife crisis, I think for a lot of people is I'm worried that I haven't made the right choices in my life. And now I'm going to do dramatic things, no matter how it affects other people. Oh, to me, that's a midlife crisis. You know, when you leave uh, your family for a younger woman, that's what's happening there is I'm afraid maybe I've made some wrong choices. And if I don't do this reckless thing now, I'll wonder if I, I'll, I'll never get the chance and maybe I should have, that's a midlife crisis. It's like, uh, oh, this is the last chance. 
and damn the torpedoes. I'm doing it and I'm putting my blinders on and I don't know what's happening over here. I just see it in front of me. That's a very dad moment <laughs> that most of us avoid, hopefully, but where, you know, you hit that 40 to 50 decade and you start going, okay, if it was going to happen, it probably would have happened by now, whatever it is. And it's a feeling of like, maybe I have enough time to do this. Maybe I could do this other thing. Maybe. Yeah. That, that is a very dad moment. And I, I, I think the most dad part of this movie for me. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I, I can that. absolutely see that. Cause it, it, it also has to like, kind of like line up. Like I feel like every, every person in their forties and fifties is walking around like as a potential crisis, but like sometimes the, the dominoes just line up. Sometimes you take your friend to an audition and you realize you yeah. could, you could play that part. Uh, and all you need to do is invest a thousand dollars in, in makeup and, and women's clothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do we, do we talk about, uh, how, the some like it hot factor? We can talk. Speaking some like of, it hot. So I did my you, homework. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you I were was assigned told- homework. I was assigned not homework. By I was told not not by you guys. No, I, I was told that I could appreciate Tootsie more and what it was trying to do if I watched Some Like It Hot, which is a classic film. Uh, and uh, and I've never Billy seen Wilder film. Jack Lemmon, yeah. Tony Curtis, Marilyn Monroe. I've never seen. Yeah, yeah. I'd never seen a Marilyn Monroe flick before. Never seen a Jack Lemmon flick before, other than Grumpy Old Men. Like act like vintage Jack Lemon, yeah. and not like vintage in terms of uh, pruny and grumpy. Uh, <laughs> so it was it was interesting, but like it if if you're gonna have base a movie around one gag, it better be a good gag, and the gag yeah. gets old really quick. And I'm and I'm just sitting there watching it. Like, how do people not know? the what is going on uh like tony curtis has a real thick neck and you know like whereas at least with dustin hoffman he got away with the turtlenecks for me that they had to hide his adam's apple they put the thought into it though yeah gotta hide this yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i'm like you know the i was noticing this is some high necklines on all of this attire Mm -hmm. but uh, i see why and whereas this is like some like it hot is just like you know goofy antics and capers and oh fish out of water a one big fish out of water joke. Mm-hmm. There's actual growth in Tootsie. There's yeah an a- actual reason behind it. Just that not just like oh we're hiding from the Keystone Cops equivalent of the mob. So yeah, so there's actual growth in Tootsie. And people learn things. Nobody learns anything in some like it hot. And the yeah. and the gag is just LOL women, whereas yeah. this character actually learns something about women. And I think what's also really important about the context of Tootsie is the emergence of a new kind of women's liberation, because this is only a few years after women could finally get their own credit cards and bank accounts without a husband mm-hmm. or a father co-signing. Like it's a yeah. huge deal to be a woman striking out on your own at this point yep. in time of Tootsie. Yeah. Whereas it's just like, you know, Some Like It Hot is a movie of its time about another time. Mm-hmm. And it's depicting like yeah. the silliness of, you know, these women, grown women having to be supervised. These are professional musicians who yeah. still need chaperones. <laughs> like, yeah. come on. Yeah. Right? 
So, I hate to poo poo on old movies because yeah. look, it's a, it, and especially someone like It Hot, I, I have great appreciation for a movie who has no higher aspiration than to make you laugh because mm -hmm. that's not easy. Mm -hmm. It is a broad comedy. I respect it. I respect that so many people love it and it's admired for its time, but it is very much a product of its time. And I don't think yeah. it plays as well if you are not an audience that views women in a very specific way. Um, because I think that movie requires that of you and to know how women were seen in 1959 and how they were thought of. And you mm -hmm. have to suspend a lot more disbelief because as I, you know, we referenced a couple of times, Marilyn Monroe was kind of the star of that movie. She was actually top built. She was such a big star at the time. Um, even though Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis are, you know, play much bigger parts, uh, where they have to dress up as women to avoid the mob and they go undercover in a band and they both fall in love with Marilyn Monroe. Uh, but the real joke is just these men have to keep pretending to be women. And it hinges on the idea of what being a woman at that time meant. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it, it's just, it's aged poorly because if you can't latch onto that central idea, which is the one idea of that movie, the movie doesn't hold up all that well. Um, and it doesn't have anything to say beyond that where sometimes you could see comedies that, you know, maybe that some of the jokes haven't aged well, but they've got a little something to say and you can appreciate it on that level. And that movie, I don't think it does. Yeah. No. Um, so yeah, they, they were clearly trying to do something beyond that in Tootsie. They yes. made it very funny, but they also had a lot of shit to talk about and that took it to a different level. So, which is one of the reasons, you know, I, I, I to me, it's like when it gets lumped in with some like it hot when it gets lumped in with Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, I, I, I don't like it, and I get why it has to be. They're famous actors dressing up as women and getting laughs, and you're going to do that. But th there were different things happening in all those movies uh, to different yeah. levels of success. Yeah. 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 Tootsie is just on a completely different level. All right, Tookie, how do you rate Tootsie? Uh, I give it a strong eight. Primarily yeah. because I think Terry Gar needs her flowers and she yeah. needed more to do than just scream hysterically the whole time. <laughs> like, uh, I wanted so much more for Terry Gar. She, she packs in about that in so years. much yeah. in those yeah. little those little moments. Like, she, uh, oh, I love so her. Great. So great. She accomplished so much, but she didn't want to take it at first. Yeah. Because she had just played the lead in One from the Heart, which is a Francis Ford Coppola movie that did not do well and was not a mm. great movie. But mm. she was the lead in that. And, you know, she had done a lot of stuff. And she talked about later on some of the regrets that she had. Uh, you know, she was glad that she took it. She thought she killed this part. She knew she was mm -hmm. great in it. Um, but, yeah, was it saying, all right, you know, okay, I'm a supporting actress instead of the lead actress, right? you know, and I'm not even the, the lead supporting actress in this. I'm the second supporting actress in this. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what did that mean for her? And also the way, you know, as she talked about it later, you know, her regret about not valuing comedy well enough because she was mm. one of the funniest people in the world. And especially at that time, you know, comedy just did not get its due, its respect. And so she wanted to take some time after that to prove that she was a serious actor who could do different things. And it's like, and she later on said, why? I was one of the only people who could do this thing. Why did I have to prove I could do the thing that so many other people were doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I she wanted regrets about the movie that was about regrets. I, I, I wanted her to get her flowers in real life and I wanted her character to not have to coast off the crumbs that Michael was giving her. So. Yeah. 
I, I, I was glad to, and I knew this, but <coughs> it was nice to be reminded that she, that Sandy ends the relationship, that yes. Sandy's the one like that with, with that incredible and apparently again, like kind of improvised or at least kind of self-scripted yeah. uh, final speech, um, you know, about owning her or orgasms. Uh, like, it, yeah. It's so funny, I, but she's the one with the agency at the end that finally says like, this yeah. is enough. And like, in the sense that we can see like the seeds of Michael's evolution, you can also maybe see the evolution of, of Sandy a little bit happening that, that she's, she's taken something from this kind of debacle and will discover other aspects of herself that she can use to further her, her life. Yeah. Yeah. So question mm -hmm. was return to love canal, a huge hit because it was this guy who had become absolutely infamous. I mean, people must have flocked to the barn theater to see this, right? You would I, think like the first couple of weeks are going to be nuts. Oh, yeah. 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 Jammed out. Jam packed. Yeah. I would think Held people over. are seeing it for all the wrong reasons. Like, pe like, like people went to go see the room mm -hmm. for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Do we think Jeff is a good playwright? Mm. I'm fascinated by that question as I watch it year after year. As much as I love. <laughs> Bill Murray as Jeff Slater, there is yeah. this part of me that's like, I don't see evidence that necessarily he is a great playwright. I don't know. I don't see it. I don't, personally, I don't know. Because I guess I can't just, separate. Yeah, Michael Dorsey needs to be the lead in a movie, or needs to be the lead in a play, and his roommate wrote a play for him to be the lead in. Uh, yeah, I think it, it, it's hard to imagine a Bill Murray character being one of the great avant-garde playwrights in New York City. Uh, nah. Beckett, Beckett could do, is lapping him right now. He, he's, well, it's Beckett. Let's, I know. Let's pick uh, perhaps a lesser cast. It would be like, okay. yeah, it's a painting, but I don't know. I prefer Picasso. Well, yeah. I, I think Return to Love Canal is better than Chubby Rain. Like, I think it's empirically a better yes. experience. Agreed. And if anyone ever needs the definition of damning with faint praise, <laughs> clip out Dave's previous comment and play it on a loop. Better than chubby rain. Put that on the t-shirt. Yeah. Just, just in case we air this first, that is the movie within a movie from Bowfinger, which we also have a podcast on. So <laughs> on the off chance this is played out of order. There you go. Chubby rain. All right. Final thoughts before we say goodbye to Tootsie. Uh, I appreciate what it did, especially at its time. Yeah. I feel like I, I, I kind of went into this viewing thinking like uh, you're kind of being prepared to be disappointed and trying to view it through a, a 2023 lens. And, and instead I was like, oh, I see where this movie kind of sits in terms of the evolution of uh, understanding of, 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 of gender and, 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 um, you know, the roles of men and women in, 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 in America. Um, like I understand, I totally get the idea that like, it's really, really uh, not great to make a male lead the center of a pro proto kind of feminist, feminist narrative. Um, but this movie sits really comfortably in 1982 as like yeah. something, which is, which I think like as all taken at its time, it, advances the conversation. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I don't necessarily view this so much as a feminist movie, although it has feminist overtones, as much as a male self-reflective movie. Mm. Um, 
you know, which I, I, I kind of only maybe can happen with that male lead. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why I view it slightly differently. I, I think, you know, because a, a great feminist movie does not need that male lead, but a, a movie like this, which is a man mm-hmm. coming to grips with being a shitty man kind of demands a shitty man at the lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And the character was, and potentially the actor was. So and- yeah, you, you kind of need this this message to be told this way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in right. 2023, uh, oh God, I know we're over time, but That's right. in 2023, it would not be acceptable to have this man experience his growth with uh, using using the idea of a woman as the vehicle to do so. Mm-hmm. But for its time, again, I you know I appreciate that at least we're watching growth, and there at least yeah. is acknowledgement of the issues that women experience. Yeah, very true. All right, we're putting Tootsie to bed. Thanks for joining us all, everybody. Until your next travel and journey down Dad Lane. We'll be Tookie, Dave, and Mike. Stay uh, dad at the movies, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Everyone was almost a something. Every single one of us came close to being the thing that we wanted to be before we gave up the ghost. Every single one of us gave it our best shot. Or maybe we didn't at all. We all tried our best, or maybe just tried, or else we never even called. Every one of us gave it all that we had. We didn't go down without a fight. <laughs>